The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to the Smallville Gazette, a PoppyChuloRadio.com original series. Poppy Chulo Radio, pop culture on demand. Today is Wednesday, January 12th, 2022, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion on the CW's Superman and Lois. Please welcome my super co-hosts, Millie Wood. Hello, listeners. And Professor X. Hey, Smallville, what's shaking? Yeah, oh, oh, that's good. That was good. Did you think of that all night? It just occurred to me as we were waiting for uh, Millie to connect. See, there you go. It's the brilliance of Professor X. Love it. So, welcome back, listeners. Uh, New year, new season. Let's jump into our discussion of Season 2, Episode 1, which was titled, What Lies Beneath, and aired January 11th, 2022. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. The dust is still settling in Smallville following the shocking outcome of the confrontation between Tal Rowe and Superman. Lois and Clark struggle as a couple, while Chrissy adjusts to running the Smallville Gazette with Lois. Jonathan faces new challenges on the football field, and secrets threaten to destroy Jordan and Sarah's growing relationship. Meanwhile, Kyle grows concerned over Lana's involvement with a new mayoral candidate, and John Henry Irons and his daughter Natalie attempt to make this new Earth their home. So... Season 2, we pick up immediately where we left off with that fantastic cliffhanger from The Amazing Season 1, and then we instantly jump three months into the future, which was fascinating. Um, Everybody had something to do. Uh, I would say Lois had the biggest storyline of them all, because Lois' storyline connected to everybody. The episode is titled after one of, I would say, the best sort of spooky thrillers out there, if you've never seen it, starring Harrison Ford and the always amazing Michelle Pfeiffer. So check out What Lies Beneath, y'all. A little tip. Um, Maybe not Millie Woods. She's not into the scary, although it really isn't that scary. But anyway, I digress. Let's talk about Lois Lane, because Bitsy Tulloch had a lot to do this episode. We saw her immediate reaction to being introduced to Natalie. And then three months later, she's kind of stewing a bit. You know, her emotions are bottled up and she's being snappy. There's a little bit of snappage with everybody. 
And uh, we end up finding out that the reason that she is acting the way that she is is because of some family trauma in regards to her mother leaving the family many, many, many years ago. Professor, you love Lois. You love Bitsy Tulloch. Talk to me about Lois Lane in this episode. And what did you think of uh, sort of like this additional almost like layer of the onion that's being peeled where we're getting more information about the Lane family and how, uh, you know, this family trauma is rippling into the present? Yeah, I mean, I thought that, uh, you know, the, the the portrayal, you know, it didn't seem in character with the lowest we came to get to know last season. And, of course, you know, the explanation for that is, as you said, the fact that she is processing uh, the fact that, you know, Natalie has shown up. I thought it was a little weird that she was that it was hitting her so hard, you know, especially when she was saying, you know, I, I saw her and I felt nothing. Well, you should have felt nothing. She's not your daughter. She's from a different world. You know, you've never met her. You have no connection to her whatsoever. Um, it's not unreasonable for you to not feel anything. But then sort of tying that into uh, the fact that uh, her mother, uh, you know, left the family. And I think there's there's a, a scar there that I, I suspect sooner rather than later, we're going to have to get Sam Lane in to, uh, you know, for some, you know, not necessarily performantly fair family therapy, but I think, as you said, we are getting that hint of, of you know, a, an, an onion layer situation going on uh, with the Lane family that I think is something they're, they're going to have to explore this season. Um, because it did seem that, you know, Lois was was taking it particularly hard. They did, you know, in the uh, in the flashbacks at the beginning, remind us that, you know, she did have a miscarriage of what would have been a daughter. So there's that element to it as well. But it really did feel more like there's there's a lot more going on, a lot of, you know, whether Lois is 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 dealing with some guilt over her mother's loss or has never really come to terms with it. I think that's something that Lois is going to have to deal with beyond everything she's dealing with, you know, in terms of her family and the newspaper and all of that. So I am curious. It, it sort of, did sort of come out of nowhere, but I'm curious to see where they go with it. And I think Bitsy Tulloch did a really good job because even though it was, you know, she she wasn't going over the top crazy or anything like that it was just hmm, this isn't the lowest that we've come to know and it didn't feel fake so i, I liked it yes i mean you know bitsy tulloch is always fantastic uh we also got a name drop for the first time on superman and lois we heard the name lucy which uh which was fascinating we we know based off of just casting stuff that Jenna Dewan is going to be reprising her role of Lucy Lane that she started over on Supergirl way back in season one of Supergirl. So, so that's going to be fascinating to watch, especially because it looks like the Lane family dynamic is going to be front and center this season. Millie, I want to bring you into the conversation uh, your thoughts on uh, on Lois. Uh, we're going to get into her conversation with Natalie in a little bit because I want to I want to deal with that when we talk about uh, the irons. Uh, so just focusing specifically on just the 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 interesting Lane history that we got and how that's affecting Lois in this episode. Your thoughts? 
I was like surprised that we were getting that kind of back because we haven't gotten anything. So I'm like, oh, this will be interesting. I think it's also interesting because they had written off, or not, I guess, demoted um, the her dad last season. So I, maybe this is a way to bring him back as he's no longer like the head of the DOD. Um, so that would be kind of smart. Uh, I'm intrigued to see where they're going. And I like that we're going to get more screen time of Lois because I feel like we have seen her kind of being the, the back burner of it um and of course busy talk will totally kill as she did this episode um and that and i i'm wondering if we're also going to explore just kind of the way that lois process stuff because um i know professor was a little bit like unexpected but she's acting this way but we did kind of see her act at least when things aren't in the norm or like when she's trying to talk about everything um the therapy session that episode last season so um mm-hmm. i wonder if we're going to see more of like her just, like, thought process in general. Um, I think Lois is a very interesting character to explore that mindset because we're always, like, looking at how Clark thinks and reacts to things, so it'll be fun to see a Lois's kind of exploration. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Uh, therapy session, family therapy, with uh, the Lanes and, and the Kents and the Irons <laughs> would be kind of interesting. I don't know if they could get a group rate, but um, that might be fascinating. Uh, yeah. Uh, 100%. Uh, Professor, you're our um, expert in the realm of journalism. Your thoughts on what was going down, going on down at the Gazette with Lois, Chrissy, um, Lois being very, very, very in regards to uh, hiring new people and that sort of thing. Well, again, I think the scene was thrown in more to give us that sense of Lois being curt and peremptory, not just with her family, uh, but uh, but at work as well. Um, you know, realistically, it, it would not be difficult to find an underemployed journalist these days. You know, swing a cat and you will hit one or two uh, who are looking for a job. Uh, I did think it was interesting, the idea that, you know, the uh, – um, you know, Christy was looking at it in terms of, you know, quite realistically, you know, if, if someone can come in and, you know, drive the numbers and monetize the website and all of those things, whereas Lois is, you know, they're, they're resenting Lois as very much the old school version of Lois Lane, someone who doesn't care about Twitter, doesn't care about, uh, you know, followers, uh, you know, just cares about the news. And I think that that's obviously there's going to have to be some tension uh, between her and uh, and Chrissy going forward. And I think this will be part of it. I think, you know, Lois is going to be sort of the uncompromising, uh, you know, person who is just news, 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 news. Whereas Chrissy's going to end up being the person who's, yeah, but who's paying for all of this? Uh, if only there was like a really well-qualified and professional journalist, you know, just hanging around in Smallville, uh, not doing that much who could help out. But alas, I guess uh, Lois didn't think of that. I know, right? Well, I mean, he's got a lot to do. He's juggling the world. Um, well, yeah. And and no longer just the American way. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Let's talk about the Irons family. We didn't get a lot of the Irons, but we got a couple of pretty impactful scenes with them. And it started off really with just... Well, before we get to the mention, let's let's rewind and go back to the three months ago, because we do see the aftermath of Natalie just saying, Mom? Question mark. We see that uh, John Henry ends up, uh, you know, grabbing her and, like, you know, whisking her away, and he's trying to explain that this is not your mother, that, you know, she's like, why are you here, and whatever, whatever, so we... F- Flash forward three months, 
And the first name drop is because it's the first day of school and for, for, for Natalie and, and uh, well, for everyone. But it's Natalie's first day in particular on a new earth. And uh, Clark is like, you know, don't you want to give her a call? You know, it's her first day. And she goes, she's not even, she's not even talking to me. So there was that. We end up picking up with the irons, and uh, Natalie is going to go back to uh, the school that she went to before. But, uh, you know, her father's like, remember, you know, these people don't know you. They don't know you exist. They're not the same people. And it seems as if Natalie gets it, but when she gets into the school and, you know, one of her really good friends sees right through her that kind of shakes her and she ends up skipping the rest of the day um because you know she was like she didn't even she didn't know me i mean clearly hello um it's fascinating that that we're tackling this when she's been three months on on this earth but i mean that's what happens when you have a time jump uh at the end of it she does have a conversation with lois and lois kind of explains um, herself to her, and by the end of it, we we have the Irons family moving in with the Kents, which I think is going to be hella fascinating, and it's something that I wanted last season. But anyway, Milliewood, let's talk about the Irons family. Let's talk about Natalie. What'd you think of the new sort of uh, shoes that uh, John Henry had to to wear? In this episode, because we got to see him as a father. We got a little bit of a taste of that during his flashback episode, but we got to see it front and center in this episode. So talk to me about all the Irons drama. Man, I really feel for Natalie, like, you know, being a high school student sucks, but then to, like, be in a world where no one knows you can't be, like, good. And I think they've, like, showed that well. And it was interesting to see John in this, like, as a parent. And because obviously we've seen the flashbacks, but to have that perspective and also taking, like, what he knows cause for the long time he thought his daughter was gone and never see her. So to have that, like, kind of like that quote unquote, like hardened parent, I guess, <laughs> in, in like the emotional way. Um, I like to see that side of him. And uh, I love that they're going to be staying with the Kents felt inevitable, but that means we get to see more of them. And that's going to be like a really interesting, like family, like Thanksgiving drama, but all the time. Um, and I am curious, like if Jonathan and Jordan are going to take Natalie under their wings at school uh, to help her with like the transition and what kind of drama that might cause uh, as they're still kind of acclimating themselves to the town. I know, right? Yes. Professor, what about you? Everything irons, Natalie's chat with Lois, John Henry being Papa Irons. I really dislike Natalie. Um, (laughs) uh, She was just a total little bitch to her father. Uh, you know, she's acting like it's somehow his fault that she's like, she even pulled the line. Oh, maybe I shouldn't have survived. Maybe I should have just died. Me, me, me. Get over yourself. You whining little teenager. Um, <laughs> it's uh, and like later on when uh, when Lois sits down beside her and says, I know you're a strong, good person. I thought based on what Lois, she has been a monster to John Henry. Everything that we've seen in this episode. Uh, we have not seen her behave in anything uh, other than that. Now, that said, the very next scene where they show up at the Kent uh, family farm, she is self-possessed, well-behaved, 
She seems a radically different character in whatever happened in that discussion. But up until that point, it was just like, you know, John, you would have been better off if she hadn't, you know, breached, uh, you know, the barrier between worlds. Uh, She was just a total. And the fact that she knows who Superman is, she, she was just. She's like, and, and like, and that's okay. So her father says, maybe it's not a good idea for you to go to this school. Here's what's going to happen. The first thing she does is she goes up to her old friends and she's surprised when they don't recognize her, even though her dad has been telling her that for three months. And this is supposed to be the smart kid. Oh, for God's sake. While I co-sign. I poured it in from Riverdale. Oh my God. While I co-sign with some of what you're saying, professor, This is where the problem comes in of the time jump. Like I referenced as I was uh, uh, sort of recapping and then setting up my questions. This is where the time jump becomes an issue. Because it seemed a bit ridiculous for three months to have passed and that her reaction was the way it was. I get why we're getting the reaction. Because... It kind of makes sense, you know, you have someone from another Earth coming here, well, here, but, you know, the the Earth Prime there, the CW Earth, and uh, you want to get the reaction because it's going to be a different reaction than what John Henry Irons had when he first showed up, and this, that, it's from the teen perspective, and I get it, but why'd they have to do the time jump? It would have made much more sense had, you know... We picked up where this episode started, right at the cliffhanger, and then it was like the next week, and she's experiencing all this. That would have given us, the reaction that we got in the episode would have been understandable had she only been a week on this Earth. But because she had been three months... the time jump seems unnecessary because it's almost like they were trying to resynchronize so that they would be, you know, doing the start of the season so it's synchronized to September and the start of the school year, but... yeah. The season's starting in January. So why'd you bother doing that? It's not like this is like when Smallville, uh, you know, would always pick up that, you know, it's the beginning of the new school year is the beginning of the new season. And, you know, we sort of synchronize and then you can build up to, you know, your Halloween episode will be at the right time of year and your Christmas episode will be at the right time of year. But there was just why would they do that in this case when the show is coming on in January? It, it just really didn't work. Yeah. If there was anything that I would nitpick about Lois's storyline, and I didn't mention it when we were focused specifically on her, is the fact that she was, like, stewing for three months. I was like, damn, that's a long time for Lois to be snappy and giving the snappage to everybody without opening up. Um, So that was another thing that I was just like, oh, because of the time jump, it seems a bit excessive. Um, So... Yeah, I don't understand the time jump either, outside of the fact that maybe they just wanted the start of the school year. But even with that, I mean, it it just, they could have spent, they could have done with, like, uh, I forget what show did this. But maybe it was The Flash, where they continued one season, and I don't think this was the thing because of the COVID. um, Or maybe it was, but they continued the storyline, and then they did a time jump, like, an episode later. and, and, And that could have worked. But anywho, oh, all right. That's that's another story for another day. Um, we should all CW hire us to be um, you know writers for these episodes. We have really great ideas, I think. Anyway, moving on. Let's talk about let's talk about what's going down with uh, with um, 
Superman in this episode. Clark is experiencing something, and, and, and it's affecting his super abilities. Uh, Professor, what do you think is going on? Yeah, I don't know. Um, you, you would think it's it's like you know his his senses seem to be overwhelmed and almost leaving him you know semi catatonic. Um, and I don't know. Is it a, a form of like a specific intentional attack? Is it a side effect of something? I was wondering whether it was you know a side effect of uh, of the uh, the two young people he meets later on. But you know, in, but you know, and even though they share you know some of his abilities to an extent that we haven't found out yet, they obviously weren't incapacitated by it. So I don't know. I think it's meant to be uh, a mystery. Uh, Clark doesn't understand what's happening, and uh, and neither do we. It could be, you know, a, a flashback. It could be, you know, sort of a, a lingering effect from, you know, the attacks they underwent last season. Or it could be something entirely new. Okay. I can dig it. I can dig it. Uh, I will be coming back to this question when we talk about a hand later on. To Although see Jordan didn't respond to it either. That is true. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, okay. Speaking of uh, the two young people, we're introduced to, before the two young people, we're introduced to uh, Lieutenant Colonel Mitch Anderson. He is uh, the man in charge at the DOD since, uh, you know, Papa Lane is no longer there. He's... um, Smarmy, a little persnickety. Um, he's clearly going to be a thorn in Superman's side because he wants Superman to be, you know, America's hero. And uh, Superman says that he is, you know, the world's hero. As we see when he um, he helps North Korea in this episode, so this storyline is taking a page from some real life comic book stuff. A couple months ago, it was announced that uh, Superman's kind of tagline, "Truth, Justice, and the American Way," is being tweaked in the comics to truth, justice, and a better tomorrow. Interestingly enough, I know that his thing has always been truth, justice, and the American way, but I, like, in all the iterations that I've seen of Superman, like, I've never seen him as just America's hero. Like, I've seen him as the world's hero. Um, so it, it's interesting that, um, I don't know, I guess they felt that they had to change it to tweak that? I don't know. Anyway. Millie Wood, this the setup is for you. What'd you think of Mr. Anderson? Uh, what'd you think of uh, the conflict between him and Superman? And also the fact that, you know, he ends up creating his own super people. Um, he has a gentleman and a woman that are emblazoned with the the House of L symbol. Talk about cultural appropriation. I'm just saying. What'd you think of it, Milliewood? And where do you think this goes? Because clearly this man is going to be a nuisance, right? 
Oh, definitely. Like, before he even started, like, talking, you could just tell by how he looked that the lieutenant was going to be annoying. I know. It was <laughs> so his it was, stance, like, wasn't it? Yeah, his stance. And he had, like, a very, like, smug, competent, like, vibe going on. Um, and I was like, this is not obviously going to be, like, the relationship he had with the former DOD head. Um, so I thought it was interesting. I'm wondering, I'm trying to figure out if... Um, you know, what's it? I didn't realize that the like the change in slogan, but if there's like a if Superman was gonna go like a deeper kind of connotation where it's like we want you to be specifically America's hero, which could you know, be a very loaded commentary right there. Um, and see America. Gonna, like, <laughs> exactly, and see they're gonna try to explore that through this storyline. I think that would be very interesting to see, and also um, would be curious how these writers handle such topics compared to like other Arrowverse writers that, you know, sometimes don't do as well um, or might get a little preachy. So I think uh, that would be kind of fun to see if they sink or float there. Um, I don't think it's going to go end well. And I think that especially with General Lane, like leaving the DOD, I don't think that he ever was going to have that same level of camaraderie with them, um, which is interesting as there's always, we always have our hero, especially in the Arrowverse, have like an in or friends with some kind of uh, law enforcement or body, like the army or Argus or anything like that. Um, so I don't know if they're going to try to repair it, but I mean, as long as it's Anderson's in charge, I would be like with um, Clark and just, you know, put him to the side and focus on saving everybody regardless of uh, which country they're from. I know, right? I mean, that's what Superman does. But um, apparently that man has a problem with it. Right, Professor? Uh, what would you think of uh, our new uh, Thorn? And um, do you think we're going to get more information as to how he has super-powered people? Do you think it's that part of that Project 7734? Um, I don't know if there's 7734 specifically or whether it's – remember there was that uh, – oh, that kid Trigg who uh, who the general uh, was going to you know, send off. Cause, so they do apparently have that program that was you know training people you know, who have special abilities. Um, so that felt more to, like a callback to me than, than some sort of surprise reveal uh, or anything along those lines. In fact, I thought having Trigg be you know, one of the superpowered people would have been – a, a nice touch. I think it's interesting, obviously, from the moment we met Anderson, you know, we knew he was going to be uh, trouble. Uh, but I think there's yeah, an, an almost interesting, I, I think he's a bit like Kyle last season. Because when we first met Kyle, we thought, oh, he's going to be bad news. He's going to be the, the Republican straw man stereotype. I think they're actually giving Anderson an interesting point of view, which is that, you know, yes, it's great that Superman represents everyone, but if you're an American military person, it kind of makes sense that you want someone who's going to be on your side. If a war breaks out, whose side will Superman be on? You know, and the fact that he did, you know, save a bunch of North Koreans, it would just sort of, you know, play up that point to them. So I don't think it's like last season where it was about, uh, you know, finding out the U.S. military has ways to take Superman out. If Necessary. I think this is much more. In, I don't want to say much more interesting, but I think it's it's more nuanced. The idea that you know, it, and it's not even that we think you're going to be an opponent or anything like that. It's just that hey, we need people that we can count on. We need people who you know are going to be our version of Captain America, for for lack of a better term. 
And obviously, you know, Superman doesn't see himself as being in that role. So I think it does set up an interesting tension. And, you know, and again, just to sort of play it off the fact that, you know, I don't think they're taking the, uh, the cheap and easy way out. We didn't get that sort of, you know, mustache twirling moment for Anderson, you know, and he even ended it by saying, hey, you know, love to have you back when you're willing to be an American first. Uh, and, you know, Superman's not willing to do that, obviously. But from Anderson's point of view, of course, you'd be an American first. He's an American. And I'm led to believe that you Americans are, are very big about you being the best people in the world. So it's not surprising that he would think that. Um, and, you know, for him to be otherwise, I think, would not have, have played accurately. Um, and I think having Sam Lane not be the person in charge allows them to investigate that a little more thoroughly. This is not someone who necessarily wants Superman dead. This is someone who realizes, hey, Superman is a symbol of hope. Superman is a symbol of heroism. That's why he's basically copying, he's stealing the symbol and putting it on his people as well. So it's interesting, and I don't think, and I think as a result of that, they can't really do the sort of cliche to demonizing Superman storyline that you might have expected, because the fact that they're using that symbol for their people as well means that they Except that, no, this is an important symbol. Maybe this guy isn't what we want him to be or what we need him to be, but we'll still co-op that signal. So I think it's it's actually could be a lot more interesting than I thought it was going to be when I was watching the promos for it uh, prior to the season. All right. So, uh, listeners, just to be clear, the professor thinks that the lieutenant colonel is going to be sort of a misguided character that we end up loving, much like... Kyle Cushing. Um, just everybody remember that so that we can discuss this again in about 12 episodes. I'm saying I don't think he's going to be quite as simply uh, portrayed as you would have thought from the uh, from going into it. Oh, okay. All right. He cleared it up, but it still means the same thing in my head. All I right. don't think he's going to be a purely bad guy. I think he's, he's just going to be someone who has a different set of goals and a different okay. set of... Uh, of, of things that he wants to accomplish from Superman. He will be an antagonist, but I don't think he'll be portrayed as a simple bad guy, you know, mustache twirling, uh, you know, kind of baddies that we're used to getting on CW shows. Okay. All right. I can, I can understand that. And I can see that. Um, I don't like that. They co-opted the Superman S I'm just saying it bothers me. Um, but, uh, white people in America, they love to culturally appropriate a whole bunch of stuff. Just look on social media on Halloween and, uh, you will see a bunch of people that will probably be losing their job the next day, <laughs> dressing as Pocahontas and geishas and things like that. Anyway, let's talk about the Cushings, the, 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 the Cushings. Let's talk about, let's talk about Lana. And uh, let's talk about the fact that she is working on a mayoral campaign. It's not hers, though. And I feel like we were all disappointed when we learned this. Because we all wanted her to be mayor. We all wanted her to run. I feel like that is something we all collectively agreed on last season. Um, so she's running for, for, no, she's not running. She's, she's part of the campaign that's taking up a lot of her time. Uh, we did have a moment of bonding between high school friends, uh, Clark and Lana. Uh, we also had a little bit of, of Clark with Kyle 
as well, which was kind of fascinating to watch. Uh, Professor, I'll start off with you. What do you think of um, of Lana, where she is at this point, and Kyle as well? Uh, we're not going to talk about uh, the daughter just yet, because that's a whole different can of worms. Well, and again, this is, you know, one nice thing about the three-month jump is that, you know, we've managed to get past the awkwardness of Kyle settling back into his job and, you know, dealing with the, the consequences of that, you know, we can sort of jump ahead and just have them commenting on the fact that, you know, Smallville has become a tourist, uh, uh, location because of, uh, Superman's involvement there. But, um, I did like it, you know, I, I, as I've said before, you know, I like the fact that, you know, Kyle was initially portrayed as you just think he's going to be an, an absolute antagonist and he's not, you know, he had, I thought his scene with Clark was great with them. Just sort of, you know, the, the two guys going, Oh, our wives, we just don't get, it. uh, you know, uh, you know, one's a superpower being from another planet. One's a, uh, you know, a, a fire chief from small town, uh, Kansas, but they just don't understand their wives. And, and that is, you know, the thing that, that brings them together. So I, I liked that. Um, I, um, yeah, I, I like the moment with uh, with uh, with Clark and and Lana as well. You know, again, that that friendliness, you know, there, there there was a fear, I think, that I had that, you know, there was going to be, you know, a rekindled bromance. And and, you know, there were even hints of that, like in the pilot when, you know, um, oh, the uh, the often forgotten child uh who you know is is always conveniently off the grandparents you know said oh you're the guy that mom always looks at on facebook in size um and i you know I, I was really afraid that they were going to set up you know sort of an unrequited love or something like that and they they really haven't it's been very mature and responsible and and i do like that so overall um you know i'm really liking that and and i really do un, unlike you i don't mind the fact that lana is not running for mayor i think that would have been a bit pat but this is Lana's way of getting her revenge, right? We mm -hmm. saw that. We absolutely saw that, that she was just, look, you little SOB, I'm going to destroy you. And honestly, maybe she did think about running for mayor, but then she realized, nope, the better way, the way to ensure that I do get my revenge is to run this guy's campaign because he can definitely win. Whereas if I ran, I might not win. And that bastard would beat me again. So, you know, this is this is Lana is going to get her revenge or going to at least try to get her revenge. Uh, and I, I I enjoyed that. I really like the fact that she realized that, you know, the best way to achieve my goal is by helping this other person. OK. All right. I can dig that. I, I like it. I like it. I'm also a big fan of the Clark Lana friendship. Their bro TP is really nice because as you said professor it isn't messy i mean they have history they did date but there isn't any lingering anything which is nice i mean it's just two adults of the opposite sex having a friendship it's beautifully done beautifully written and uh their chemistry their friendship chemistry is really really good because you can sense that rich history between them Millie, do you have anything to add in regards to the adult Cushings before we um, head into, uh, you know, what the kids are doing? No, I totally co-sign with everything you and the professor said. Um, I guess my one thing is, like, I'm, I don't remember where I ended last season, but I'm back to, like, Kyle. Not a fan of Kyle still. Oh. I, I don't know where they're going with him, and... Like, and I think the whole, it just felt a little bit like fragile ego kind of thing going on. I'm like, uh -oh. Lana had bigger fish to fry and then to like make him feel better about himself, I think. 
Oh, Millie Wood. She's so sensitive. <laughs> I love it. So good. All right, let's talk about the kids. Because, oh, good grief. The kids got into a lot in this episode. Um, first of all, um, apparently there's no Tegan, y'all. Um, because Jonathan and his new girlfriend were about to get it in when Lois walked in on them. Get your shirt on! Uh, so there was that. And then with the other Kent child, Jordan, he hadn't seen Sarah for a month. And he was so excited to see her. And he shows up, but he doesn't text first. And there's, it's like an issue, you know what I'm saying? Right, Millie Wood? It's an issue. It's an issue. You gotta text first. And so then, you know, he, he's like, you know, just meet me. And she ends up meeting him. And uh, there is a kiss. And I will say it was beautiful, even though it's that, you know, magical fairy world, where which probably doesn't live in Canada, but lives in a in a computer with all the CGI. Um, but it, it, it wasn't the moment, I think, that Jordan was expecting. And then later, when Kyle is having a chat with Sarah, you know, he's basically like, you know, you need to be honest with Jordan about some stuff. So, clearly, there might be trouble in paradise. Like, we were rooting for these two last season. They were adorable. I did read in an interview with the showrunner that they basically said, yes, they were adorable, and it was a lot in the first season. Um, and we have to remember that this is Jordan's first relationship, Clearly, Sarah has been in a relationship, like we saw her in a relationship when Jordan meets her. So this isn't her first relationship, and uh, maybe Jordan is a lot, I don't know. Uh, but clearly, there, there are some, there, there's a little bit of uh, tremors in this relationship. Not like the tremors that we see later on, or throughout this episode, but Millie Wood. Tell me about these teens. What is going on? There's no Tegan. Sarah is, you know, she's feeling maybe a different sort of way. Uh, you know, I guess that's what happens. You go to summer camp for a month, and you gain a new perspective on life, right? I don't know. I've never been to summer camp. Me neither, but I feel like everything happens at summer camp. So I know, right? And also band camp. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Beware of band camp. Um, I, I'm a little sad because I guess they they were cute, but they did get together like really fast. And of course, um, this is a CW show, so you need like the drama. Uh, but hopefully, you know, they can resolve it or figure out something. It's not dragged out like unnecessarily. I was surprised that Tegan was nowhere to be seen. I'm wondering if they just like had issues of like 
availability or, you know, um, Jonathan's just like moving on quickly. Um, so, it, and it's also, I think, interesting that they've basically like kind of flipped, right? Jonathan's not finding his groove and Jordan's the one that is now having like the trouble, the girl trouble a bit more than him. So it's, it's uh, interesting to see their trade-off there. That is a really good point. I didn't think of it that way. Yes, the brilliance of Millie Wood. I love it. Professor, you're an expert on teens. Your thoughts on all of the teen drama in this episode, and what do you think in particular Kyle was referencing to? Like, do you have a theory? Do you think it's just that maybe Jordan is a bit too much for Sarah? Or, or yeah, what do you think his advice to her was about? Well, I, I think it actually was good advice, which is that, you know, in any relationship, there is the dominant person and there's the subordinate person. And Jordan is, you know, the the puppy dog. He clearly real. And, and you know, as 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 uh, as Kyle said, you know, he is batting way out of his league. And honestly, he kind of is, you know, Jordan is nothing all that special. Um, you know, no offense to, you know, the character, no offense to the actor. I'm just saying that everything we have seen about Jordan has not suggested that he is the most brilliant or talented or physically able or anything, you know, to, to justify him, you know, uh, you know, dating up as he is dating up. Uh, and I think he is dealing, you know, I think he probably feels that way himself as well, that he feels a little bit, you know, um, uh, yeah, and again, because it is, as Jeff was saying, it's his first relationship. He's still in the sense of, oh my God, I'm so lucky to be with this person, and you know, and worrying like, you know, uh, you know, does she love me back? And you know, what if I do this? And what if I do that? And um, you know, and and he's clearly, you know, that's why, uh, you know, Kyle was saying uh, to his daughter that, you know, you're the alpha here, and I think that it's entirely possible that Kyle may sense that, you know, her feelings may have changed a little bit, and. Really, I think that you got that that sense that, you know, when she first came back and she hugged her parents and the way they looked at each other, you know, I think there was that 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 parental glance that you sometimes see between um, uh, Clark and and Lois of that unspoken communication that parents have when they know what's going on with their kid and they're just not going to say it out loud. So I did like that. And and I really I love the scene between Kyle uh, and her, uh, you know, just where he's there, you know, working on the car as a little project for the two of them. And, you know, what's going to happen that when she turns 16, she's going to get the car. She probably doesn't know that yet. But obviously, that's what's going to happen. Uh, so I think, you know, it's it's it's, it's it, again, it, it humanizes Kyle. It shows him as as trying to be the best father he can. He may not be a perfect person, but, you know, he is trying. He's putting in the hours. Uh, so I, I really like that scene. I thought it was uh, it was delightful. And, and you know, just it, it felt real. It would be interesting to find out. You know, I, I would love to find out, you know, in the relationship between um, uh, Kyle and Lana. You know what that relationship was like, you know, who was the alpha in that relationship, who was the one who was chasing the other, because it would be really interesting to look at and find that if Kyle was looking at that from the point of view of he was the Jordan in that relationship, you know, uh, that would have been, you know, a really interesting payoff for him to have that uh, that insight. That's fascinating right there. Yes. All right. I love Nuggets of Brilliance. Fantastic. Because we're going to have to wait and see. But, um, yeah, I'm here for some relationship drama between them. Because they were just too cutesy last season. I mean, it's not going to be that easy in the real world. You know, let's be honest. So, before we dive into the mines, uh, 
Was there anything that I missed, a teeny tiny little moment from any of the other storylines that either of you would like to chat about before we dive deep into the mines? Well, I've said before that one of my favorite things is, you know, the little gestures and the little, you know, comic moments that they mm-hmm. allow um, uh, Lois and Clark to have. And and one that I thought was great was, you know, uh, when uh, Clark is bringing uh, Jonathan and his uh, new girlfriend uh, back and then, you know, uh, Clark hears something and has to go off and 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 save the sub. Uh, you know, uh, but before he hears that, you know, as you know, because Clark hears the uh, the sub and then has to go off and save mm-hmm. it. But before that happens, Clark has been telling Jonathan, well, you know, you just have to talk to the coach and tell him how you feel. And, and Jonathan's not listening to him, not listening to him. And then his girlfriend basically says exactly the same thing. And Jonathan goes, yeah, you're right. I guess I'll try that. And in the background, you see Clark just throwing his hands up. And it's like, what the hell? That is exactly what I said. It was just a, a great little sort of background scene acting moment we didn't get a lot of humor in this episode um i think uh, uh lois and clark is a show that worked really well last season when they were able to bring in the humor but that was you know just a delightful little moment of the exasperation of the parent when your kid won't listen to you but someone else is exactly the same thing and it's like oh yeah that's a good point yes yes that is true um i mean it was a heavy episode but i think we needed it to be a heavy episode based off of just the aftermath of last season as well as setting up the threats for this season so hopefully things lighten up a little bit more in the next episode speaking of what's to come so tremors throughout the episode um as lana said did you feel that and uh the tremors you know lead to the mines and we see at the very end of the episode a hand uh, underground, uh, tr- I guess, trying to escape the mines. Um, I'm going to ask for theories. The internet seems to have a big theory. Uh, but clearly, this individual is going to be the big bad for this season, I am assuming. Um, all I can think of is seven foot frame rats along his back. We don't talk about doomsday. No, no, no. Or do we professor? Well, I think doomsday is the only obvious choice. I mean, you know, buried breaking out. Um, the problem is they use that in, you know, uh, uh, in, in the Zack Snyder uh you know abominations um so i i feel like you know it, it's been a little too done uh i guess they could you know introduce a different version of doomsday or something along those lines but i just it, it would feel a little bit and if we are going to do that then are you committing yourself to a death of superman arc in superman and lois when everyone and their mother knows that there's no way you're actually going to kill superman now, having said that, the fact that they are introducing these young people wearing the House of L symbol on them, you know, as the people who might try to fill in for Superman. So would they have the guts to kill Superman midway through a season or perhaps for an entire season? And, you know, again, show us the idea of a world dealing with the loss of Superman. Now, that could be really interesting because unlike the movies, um, this will be the first time since the comic came out, what, in the 90s? where you could really, you know, take a number of episodes to deal with the consequences of that, to deal with the notion of, you know, what would a world without Superman be in a world that has grown so accustomed to having a Superman? 
well, I'm not crazy about the whole, you know, uh, death of Superman arc. I think, you know, approaching it in this show might be the way to do it right. Because you would have Bitsy Tullock dealing with the emotional response of that. You'd have uh, Jordan and Jonathan dealing with the emotional response. You'd have, you know, Jordan perhaps, you know, with his abilities, being the one who can, you know, find his father and bring him back. Um, Reluctant though I am to say this, I think that might be an interesting take on this. Also taking a Superman and Lois and removing Superman from the equation for however many episodes could be really interesting. So the show would just be called Anne Lois. Which, you know, I mean, Lois is fantastic, so, I mean, she can carry the show, I'm just saying. I mean, this episode was basically the Lois show, let's be honest. That's interesting. You know, that's the thing that I keep on reading online, because I'm not a comic book person. But uh, the death of Superman and Doomsday is associated with that. And would they do that? Could they do that? It's fascinating. It is an interesting idea. Millie Wood, any thoughts, any theories? Do you agree with the internet? Do you agree with the professor? Is it Doomsday? Um, are, are you knowledgeable of Doomsday? What are you hoping? Do you hope Superman dies? I'm not knowledgeable of, Super, or of Doomsday, so I'll definitely just co-sign the professor's theory. Um, I think that the death of Superman... It would be an interesting storyline. I feel like every uh, there's always that one storyline where everyone has to deal with not having their hero there for a while, right? Like Barry was in the Speed Force, Oliver was dead off of a mountain. Um, I feel like it's an inevitable thing just to see the the impact that they have. Um, and if they do it this early in the run, that's really interesting because you might run out of ammo, but also I think that um, because it's such a well-oiled machine already, uh, to shake it up that way would be a fun kind of storyline to see. So, like, a temporary death of Superman would be fun. Okay. Death is always fun. If it if it is Doomsday, I just want to go out with my uh, wild prediction, which is that, you know, rather than this, this being, like, the comic book accurate origin of Doomsday, which is, you know, that it's a, a Kryptonian creation and, you know, off to destroy Kryptonians, which is why it's so powerful. My theory is that this will be like an early version of the uh, the, the government trying to come up with their own versions of Superman, and that's why it was buried uh, the way that it was. Um, and also why it seems to be like it, the hands seem to be like it was, you know, almost like it was wearing some sort of containment suit or something like that. So my theory would be that, you know, this will be a chickens coming home to roost situation. Uh, and again, if that did happen, you know, if you had a, a doomsday show up and, and supposedly kill Superman and, and, and all of that, um, you know, then, you know, what's Lois going to do except, uh, you know, mourn? Well, Lois researching, you know, and finding out the truth about the origin of Doomsday and and pointing out, you know, that it was the U.S. government that brought that into play. Um, that could be really interesting as well. And it could lead to some more Lane family drama if uh, the general, Sam Lane, knew about this. It'd be interesting if he wasn't involved in this, if this was something that he didn't know. Like maybe the government, because, you know, they, they saw how close he was with Superman, they uh, decided not to tell him. So that could be... Or they could have done it 10 years ago or 15 years True. ago or... Very true. Yeah, that'd be interesting. All right. So, on that note, let's get into some some MVPs. Uh, the most valuable player. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again. So, 
choose wisely. I feel like there's an obvious choice, but I feel like there are many choices as well. Um, Millie Wood, we'll start off with you. I don't know if you're going to choose the obvious one, but you can if you like. I feel like it's a cop-out, but I will go with the obvious choice. Um, as you mentioned, it basically was like, and Lois, the whole episode, and of course, Busy Doll, we've talked about it, did a great job, I think, showing the like inner turmoil that Lois has and, and revealing kind of her backstory with her family that we haven't got before. And her interaction with Clark, I really like their conversation, um, and her, you know, uh, dealing with Natalie, despite her attitude, was also um, really touching as well. Fantastic choice. Professor? Uh, yeah, I really liked Kyle in this episode. I thought, you know, his, yeah, yes, there were, you know, he was feeling a little overlooked and a little uh, slighted uh, by Lana, but they had resolved that by the end of it. Um, I thought his relationship uh, with his daughter was great. Um, and they just, you know, that, that scene where, you know, he and Lana are being reconciled. And so they're sort of, you know, making out a little bit in the kitchen. And I was just thinking to myself, you know, they have to find a way to end this with their daughter ending it because, you know, you can't just have a happy moment between two married people. And sure enough, there she was saying, you know, you two do have a bedroom. It has a door on it. I thought it was just a great way to end the scene. But I thought, you know, Kyle was great all through the episode. Another good choice. And I'm going to give it to John Henry Irons. I thought Willie Parks did a really good job with the material that he was given in this episode. Seeing a new shade to that character, seeing him really as, you know, a father that's trying his best to sort of acclimate his daughter into this new earth. I thought was really good. Um, so I, I look forward to seeing where this storyline is going and see, seeing more of him, you know, as as a father, as opposed to just being, you know, a superhero that, uh, you know, is tagging along with um, Superman to save the day. Now it's time to rate the episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 red capes? The point system is loud. If you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may archive the episode in the Fortress of Solitude. Professor? You know, I'm going to give it eight and a half. I, I really enjoyed it, and I was kind of surprised because, as I said, watching the promo, I really I thought this was not going to be a, you know, a, a good return to the show. I thought... You know, they. I really didn't think they were going to live up to it. But honestly, this was a, a very solid first episode, putting a lot of interesting things in place. So, uh, yeah, and I'm back on board. I'm really looking to see what happens next. Starting off strong with an 8.5 from the professor. Millie Wood, what about you? Do you agree? Do you disagree? Where do you stand? I will agree with the professor in 8.5. Um, it is very solid. Uh, you know, a couple of qualms that we've all pointed out, but otherwise I think it does a good job at setting us up for the whole season. Awesome. Two 8.5s, and you can add a third. I feel like that is the appropriate rating for this episode. A solid premiere, um, certainly setting up what should be a fascinating season with some uh, Lane family drama, um, the Mysterious Gentleman in the Mine, um, and uh, some interesting uh, shifting relationship dynamics in Smallville as well. So on that note, join us next time for a brand new installment of the Smallville Gazette. Here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions? Suggestions, comments, or concerns? 
Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for The Small Hill Gazette and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-hosts, please wish the listeners a good night, starting off with the professor. Good night, everyone. And Millie Wood. Good night, listeners. If you want to follow along, I'm on Twitter as at the Asian Nerd. Thanks for tuning in. Download new episodes of the Smallville Gazette every Thursday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Poppy Chula Radio archives. Good night. <laughs>